Good morning, Bridgewater. Welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. Uh, Hope you enjoyed and had a great Thanksgiving. I'm Luke. I'm normally your worship leader here, but just want to take a minute to thank the team up here and back in the tech booth. Um, They always are ready and willing to step up uh, when I give them the opportunity, and they've given me the opportunity to uh, do some teaching and studying the Word with you today. So put your hands together for them, will you? All right, well... Today we get to finish up, as David said, our series called This Is What We Do. And what we're talking about today is what's mentioned an awful lot in the Bible, and that's money. So how is it possible that we can do what we've talked about over the past two weeks? And what have we talked about? Well, in week one, what we did was we talked about putting God first. And specifically, giving to God helps us to put him first. And that was mentioned with tithe. Uh, Week two... We asked a better question. That was last week. And what we did was we assessed what we have to give rather than what we could afford. So these are God's priorities for us. We, um, how do you get to that place? How do you get to a place where you can give to God first? I mean, and why in light of everything that you need and what you're responsible for, why would you choose to give regularly, give proportionally, and even sacrificially? How could it be even possible for us to make an impact when there are so many needs around us and when we actually, uh, to give to significantly as to be able to take fully care of them? Why would you do anything when you can't do everything? Is it possible to get to that place where we're not only willing but excited to give? Um, You can and you will if you follow what Jesus is teaching, and that's what we're going to look at today. But before we do that, what I want to do is I want to take you back to 2007. Okay, 2007, that was 16 years ago, and in my life at that point, I was in this band called Soulfire, and there we are. That is me, and that's our number one fan down the bottom, my wife Bridget. Um, we are the originators of the .5 photo, in case you're wondering. If you don't know what that is, get with it. But back then, I had a goal, and it was to create this right here. Does anybody know what that is? What is it? Yeah, you're old. CD, yeah, you're dating yourself. But a CD, an album. So we had written a bunch of music, and we wanted to record that, and my goal was to get signed by a record label. And that consumed my life. Every waking minute that I had was put to that goal. Anything that didn't direct itself to recording that album, to getting signed by a label, that was put to the wayside. That means relationships, even my health, anything like that was put to the wayside because I had a goal. It defined how I saw everything else. So things were categorized that I knew would help me to get to that goal of recording an album and signing with a label and everything that wasn't gone. So I I think you get the picture, but the value that I placed on that became what I valued in my life. So everything that I saw was defined by that goal. So what Jesus is getting when he teaches us about money and what he's getting at with those that are following him is that it seemed that they had the wrong concept 
of what was truly valuable. So they were chasing all the wrong things. They were, it was bringing all sorts of complications into their lives. It affected the way that they saw luxuries and necessities. Talk about complications. Back then in 2007, it was when my son was going to be born. So he was due in December. His birthday's coming up. So right after Thanksgiving, I was traveling to the studio out in Lanesboro, and I get a call, and Bridget says, hey, I think it's time I'm having some contractions. And the thought in my head was, hmm, I wonder if I can make it to the studio to lay down a track before she gets back and we go to the hospital. That's how consumed I was. But we're going to talk about, and we're going to go to Matthew 6, because Jesus recorded this teaching, and he shows how people's view of non-essential, immaterial things was perverted. Things like admiration and attention, or how their view of essential items like food and clothing, it was also skewed. So here in the middle of his teaching, it, we, there's something that we need to get. It's a really strong point. And he's going to echo, and he's going to reframe some teaching that had been written in Scripture long ago. And I just wonder if this is what Jesus had in mind when Solomon wrote these words. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 15, it says this, Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. There's another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the Savior. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour, and everything is lost. In the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. That's what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes. So this view of life and money and possessions, it's endured for ages and generations, and it's affected many people. Matter of fact, there's a couple uh, quotes I want to show you here said by some very successful people. Andrew Carnegie, he said, millionaires seldom smile. John D. Rockefeller, he said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. So two men in our country's history that represent wealth make these statements and the sad reality of everything is that it's not just the haves that come to find that their perspective is all wrong it's the have-nots as well uh, both the haves and the have-nots are pursuing the same thing they're pursuing more and it's a faulty view of our life and possessions it's just as common among the rich as it is among the poor and that's the point. Jesus is helping his followers to go against the grain. He wants us to do something that is countercultural. He's teaching us to make a 180 of exactly how we view our life, our wealth, and our possessions. So let's see what he has to say. So if you have your Bible with us today, we're going to study in Matthew chapter 6. And if you don't, we're going to put the scripture up on the screen can use your um, device, whatever you like. But let's start reading in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. It says, Don't store up your treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. 
where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So we might read these words and have a sense that they're true, but everything and everyone around us screams the total opposite. It's all about exactly what you can get now. You know, Amazon Prime, I'm guilty. You know, right here, as soon as I order, it's here the next day. And matter of fact, we're, con- we're capable of totally convincing ourselves that um, what we want can be here. If we need it, we need it now and we want it now. And that's the way that we're, we're hardwired from birth. You've heard Josh talk about it the last couple weeks. It, it says that our nature is mine. And it goes against our nature to wait or to look beyond that of pleasing ourselves. So Jesus comes right out of the gate in verse 19 with instructions and tells us not to collect and work for earthly treasures. So what would those earthly treasures be? Well, according to what he says, says anything that will deteriorate, depreciate in value, or be taken away from you. So what do you think fits in that category? Well, let's look and see what the audience in Matthew chapter 6 was pursuing. If we go back to the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 through 4, they were pursuing the admiration of others. So you, we all know that the admiration of others, it can quick, quickly come and quickly go, especially if you're a parent. You know, one day, you know, your kids are loving you. The next day, they're sitting in their high chair throwing their mac and cheese at you. Well, in verse 5 through 6, he goes uh, uh, talking about the attention of others. So sometimes it's our desire to be seen or to be known or to be loved. We're all seeking attention in a number of creative ways, but a lot of times that can... Uh, even harmful for us. Well, in verses 7 through 18, it talks about seeking a good reputation and that we want to be known and we want to be thoughtful to, as a good person, and to be noble, to be upright, and we want to be respected and affirmed. Well, then he goes on in the back end of chapter uh, 6, and he talks about material things, which is our food and clothing. Their basic human needs And Jesus said we're not supposed to be distracted by them. He acknowledges that they're needs, but he warns that when we prioritize them above his needs, they become distractions. So what are they distractions from? Verse 20 tells us the answer, and if we're pursuing heavenly treasure, so this is how he describes heavenly treasure. He tells us where he's going with his teaching, and he tells us the complete opposite. Heavenly treasure is things that cannot deteriorate, they don't depreciate in value, and they can't be taken from you. So how do we do that? How do we pursue that heavenly treasure? And let's read. It's found in verse 33. I think we've all heard this before. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. God's not against giving us what we need. He's against putting our temporary earthly needs first. So he says to make his priorities our priorities, and he'll take care of us. And when you do this, it completely changes the way that you view things in life. 
So Jesus isn't saying here that if we put our treasures out here first, that our heart is going to follow to those treasures. What he's saying is that where our heart already is, is where our treasures will follow. So our heart is something that needs to be in a place where it defines and it determines how we see everything else. What we're focused on needs to go beyond just the earthly, beyond the temporary, because that will define how we view and what we do with earthly treasures. So let's go back to the beginning of chapter 6, what we just talked about. Verses 1 through 4, if our heart is in the right place and we're seeking heavenly treasures, we're going to give to the needy without demanding attention. In verses 5 to 6, we're going to pray without seeking attention. Verses 7 through 18, we're going to pray, we're going to submit our will to God's, we're going to forgive others, and we're going to fast without announcing it. And when we do all those things, God will reward us. Tells us right there in that scripture. He's not against us having treasures or even rewards. He's just into the heavenly rewards. There's, there's a quality of living that he's interested in and a quality of treasure that he wants us to pursue. It's a treasure that's completely worthy of our focus. So if we treasure what he values, we will see life, money, and possessions accurately. So you see, even, even good things sometimes, they can be distractions when they become our total focus. So he's really getting to what our value is. If we value what God values, if we learn, learn to rely and to hope on God's ability to reward us for doing what he asks us to do, that actually makes no sense to the culture around us because it's completely opposite. So what's our reward? What, what are we pursuing? What's worth our pursuit? And what's so important that it changes how we see everything else? How do we go about storing up our treasure in heaven? Well, Paul tells us. So if we're going to look at the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 and 14. So Paul writes a letter to the Philippian church here. And he is a man whose perspective had totally changed. He came to a place in his life when he gave up thinking that his heritage, his accomplishments, and anything that he had attained mean anything. And this is what he said. Verse 7, he says, I once thought these things were value, but now I consider them worthless. I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So Paul recognized that knowing Jesus and what he has done is of utmost value. 
And his job was to take that, to make Jesus known to people. So whatever that required, it meant living how Jesus lived. It meant prioritizing what was important to Jesus. And that is exactly what Paul would give his life for. It says in Acts 20, verse 24, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So how did Paul get to that point? How does perspective shift? What did he seem to know and to believe that we need to know and believe? One thing. He took Jesus at his word. He believed that the writers, he believed exactly what the writers of Scripture clearly believed, that life is short and eternity is long. Can you all see this rope up here? It's a rope, okay? Just imagine this rope is your existence, okay? It goes a long ways. Matter of fact, this rope represents eternity. It'd be like this spool never ended. There's a little piece of black tape on this rope. That represents your life here on earth. So there's a long eternity before you, and eternity goes after you. Well, it just blows my mind that a lot of people are living just for this little black piece when it comes to eternity. Matter of fact, they live all the way till the very end of this where the tip of my fingernail is touching. Their whole entire life just enjoy the last couple years. That's not what God wants us to do. That's not what Paul figured out. He figured out that he could spend all his life preparing for just the end of that little piece of black. Or he could spend his life preparing for eternity. Because what we do in that little part prepares us for that whole line of rope, that whole part of eternity. Matter of fact, Paul says he, he was looking past this life that he was living in. He was letting go of every single distraction in order to carry out what God has commanded. What's he doing? He's living for the line. So what do we do in light of what for God has done for us? We live for the line. That's exactly how you're able to put God first by giving to him first. That's how you move from what can I afford to what do I have. You know, people are thinking you're going to be totally weird if, you know, you're spending all your time trying to record an album in Lanesboro when there are millions of recording artists out there fighting for the spot. 
People are going to think you are totally weird if you reorient your life to live for eternity. It's countercultural. And it's going to look weird. It's going to feel strange because that's not what our nature is. But that's why God gives us the help that we need to reorient our thinking. We're going to say no to good things for the sake of eternal things. We're going to be criticized, but God, he says that you're wise because the treasure that you're storing, no one can take it away from you. It'll never perish. It'll never spoil. It'll never fade. You'll be like Jesus with Jesus. It's so easy for us to get stuff mixed up. We put all of our focus and all of our attention, all of our affection to the right here and right now. But we're preparing for something so much longer than just right now. We're preparing for eternity. And knowing that eternity is coming, it causes us to see things in this life differently. It helps us to put them in their place, to not store up these earthly things, to not treasure them, helps us to seek God first. You can only get there when you live for the line. So Jesus says when we, when we value his priorities first, when we give him our heart, our treasures will follow behind that. So your treasure and your heart, they're found in exactly the same place. So, so what do you do? You just start. You see what we have up here. If you don't know what this represents, this sandal, this sneaker, this hiking boot, go back and listen to the last two weeks. It explains them, but you just start right here, flip-flop. Because you're going to begin to believe what God says is valuable. And we're going to understand that earthly treasure is not what's of important. We're going to understand what it means to give regularly, to give proportionately, to give substantially. Jesus warns us not to store up our treasure here on earth, and it's not just because our wealth might be lost. It's because our wealth will be lost. It's either going to leave us while we're here on earth, or it's going to leave us when we die. There's no exceptions to that. The more you have, the more you're going to leave behind. So if we're wise and we store up our treasures in heaven and live not for what is temporary, but for what is eternal, just like it shows us right here what we talked about. It's going to create a shift in our life. It's going to create a shift in our thinking. It's going to honor God and accomplish what he asks us to do, to tell of his good news and saving grace. So I have a challenge for you today. When you walk out, you're going to receive two things. First one is a bracelet. It says, live for the line. What do you do with this? And it actually has a dot right there on it. Well, it's pretty simple. You just put it on and you wear it. 
And it's a reminder for you to think about eternity, to think about the treasures that you're storing up in heaven. The second thing you're going to receive is an invite card to our Christmas services. Because when you're thinking about eternity and you're thinking about the treasures in heaven, there is no way that you can hold that in. So we have Christmas services on Saturday, December 23rd, 3.30, 5.30, and then on Christmas Eve, on Sunday, 3.30 and 5.30. You can put these right in the same hand because if you're remembering to live for the line, you're going to want other people to know about Jesus as well. We put God first because we put God first as we give to him first. We ask the better question and we give what we have and we live for the line. This is what we do. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you for today. Thank you that we have the opportunity to come here and study your word and we have the opportunity to worship you. Lord, we know that our, our uh, thinking, our priorities, they get skewed at times. And I ask you, Lord, that as we don these bracelets this week, Lord, it's just a simple symbol, but that it would be a reminder to think upon eternal things and to be thankful for your grace and your love and your mercy, and Lord, that that would just pour out of us. We thank you that we can be here today to study your word and ask that you would bless it and that you'd be glorified. We love you, Lord, and give you this day. Amen.